0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the ninth edition of Podigas, a podcast where we speak to leaders of just about every kind of organization you could imagine in order to explore the impact of technology, both today and in the future. I'm your host, Delcy Bean, the CEO of employee-owned Paragus Strategic IT located in Hadley, Massachusetts and serving clients all over New England and beyond. With me today, I have Glenn Welch of Freedom Credit Union, Glenn joined Freedom Credit Union in 2016 and has more than three decades of experience in the financial services industry. He was president and CEO of Hamden Bank from 2013 to 2015 before the Berkshire Bank acquisition and was employed at Hamden Bank for 17 years. Glenn is a graduate of Western New England University and earned his MBA from the University of Massachusetts. He is currently active on many boards throughout the Pioneer Valley, including Wayfinders, Pathlight, the Business School Advisory Board at Western New England University, developed Springfield, and Springfield Business Leaders for Education. Welcome, Glenn, and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me today, Delcey. I appreciate it. So let's start off by just telling us, how did you get into the banking industry?
1: So I graduated actually from Western New England College. It was college back in 1984 when I Sure. And I had a finance degree, and actually 1980 to 1983 was a recession. Uh, And I came out just after the recession ended, Uh, as I said, finance degree, and I found a job at the time, after taking the summer off, kind of being lazy, (laughs) uh, I took a job with uh, household finance. And I don't even know if they're still around, but they were a national company that did uh, consumer lending.
0: Okay. So I, I
1: stayed there about three months, figured out it really wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, they really charge high rates to consumers. And uh, a local, um, local bank, Bank of New England West, actually had a job opening, and I applied there. And I've been in banking, as you said, 30-plus years, which wow. just seems un- incredible to me at this point in time.
0: So before we go any further, what I find is helpful is tell us a little bit about how technology savvy you would describe yourself to be. So
1: as I thought about that, um, I was thinking when I first got into banking, didn't even have a computer on my desk. Uh, we I actually had a job where I went out and, and did some site evaluations of businesses we lent to. I had to come back, fill out a paper uh you know, on paper, the report, handed over to an administrator who typed it for me. I got it back. I edited it, got it back to her until, uh, you know, until it was done. Then uh, my next job in banking, um, I worked as a credit analyst. So we analyzed those businesses uh, that were looking to borrow money. And in that job, we did have a computer, but we had one and it was sitting on a desk, and you had to sign up for like an hour slot. So you still hand wrote things, went over the computer, typed it in, gave it to your supervisor who edited it, and then you had to sign up for the, another hour to go back and edit it. So uh, that's how my career started with uh, you know, zero technology, yeah, man. at that point in time. You know, now I'm sitting here, I have two screens on my desk here, I sign in from my VPN at home, you know, iPad, iPhone, everything. Um, so in my career, it's just incredible to me how far technology has come. And as you know, every couple of years, it seems to multiply by two anyway. And uh, so that that's, uh, you know, now very much a lot of technology and I guess I do okay. I keep learning every day, so that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, would you describe yourself as a techie?
1: No, not at all. <laughs> but I do have to be very aware of the technology that's in our
0: business. Sir. Of course, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Yeah. So you've already alluded to this a little bit, but I'd love for you to continue to expand. You've been in banking for three decades. You've already talked a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen in technology and how it's impacted the banking community. What other ways have you seen technology have an impact, especially in the last three to five years?
1: Yeah, so the, the impact is really that we, you know, instead of someone coming into the branch now to transact their business, um, we've given them back their time. They can do their business when they want to do it. So whether it's on their computer or on the mobile phone app, um, you know, the consumer wants everything now and wants to do it when they can. And I understand that people are busy and, you know, it used to be you had to take your lunch hour to go over to the bank to deposit your check or to withdraw the funds and, you um, you know, now you can do all those things without having to interact with us, which is is a little bit of a problem for us because you don't quite develop the relationship necessarily that you, that you used to have. You know, when somebody came in every Thursday afternoon, the teller recognized them, cashed their check, and said, thank you, Mr. Smith, and on their way, and they could ask things about banking. Um, but we don't have that anymore, but people want access, uh, when they want it. And then, you know, if they need us, they know we're here and other means to, to help them out.
0: How much has the foot traffic at a branch gone down since, let's say 10 years ago?
1: So that's the big mystery we're trying to solve right now. Uh, from 10 years ago, it's down, but we don't really know what the impact after COVID will be, okay. and we're monitoring that now. As I assume all financial institutions are, um, you know, we they say that um, technology and the adoption of it by our members or banks customers has accelerated by more than five or ten years due to COVID because, yeah. you know, people then had to figure out how to deposit a check without coming in. Uh, if they didn't want to wait in the long line because all our lobbies were closed. So it was drive-up only business. Um, They learned how to apply for loans online. Uh, So it's a big mystery we're gonna solve probably in the next six, nine months, really understand. I know year over year prior to COVID and um, prior to coming out of COVID, a lot of our transactions were down about 20% at the branches. Got it. Um, So, again, we don't know how much that is going to return or if if that's a permanent behavior change.
0: And is this something you would have predicted five years ago, 10 years ago, that branches were going to significantly decline in kind of the way people transacted with the bank?
1: I don't know that I would have predicted it. People more uh, technologically savvy might have been able to figure it out, but... Over my career, we've always had enhancements for people to utilize, um, but they don't seem to use them. Uh, and in this case, we kind of forced it on them. They had to learn. Um, prior to that was a nice thing to have um, and people used it or they didn't use it. Now, again, I think people have gotten accustomed to it. I don't I don't know why somebody would sit in line or wait um, At a branch to deposit a check when you can take a picture of the front and back and deposit it from your desk in a matter of seconds
0: yeah i was thinking about it preparing for this interview i genuinely cannot remember the last time i walked into a bank's lobby It, it has been at least five years and maybe longer than that it's just i think there's probably certain individuals that are maybe more inclined to adopt that technology the second you make it available and I think to your point, then there's the other ones that you almost have to force them to use it. And then probably a lot of people in the middle who are just kind of a little bit slower to adopt, but get there eventually.
1: Right. And and what we're hearing um, is that people want to know we're here, that we have the brick and mortar, that they can come in and talk to us when they need to. But, you know, maybe that's when you're getting a mortgage or your first mortgage or, you know, maybe for you as a business owner, a business loan. But, you know, if you're going to get a car loan and, you know, you walk in the dealership and the dealer says, oh, I can process that right now, or you can go on your app, mobile app, your institution and apply, you know, I think people have gotten a lot more comfortable with that. And so I think we will see people less and less. For some people, it's a social interaction, quite frankly. Um, at an institution i was at long ago i did sit in the lobby and uh, i remember a guy came in and he'd like withdraw a quarter one day and <laughs> deposit 50 cents the next day it was only to come in and say hello to the tellers that he knew and uh so you know i i think uh i actually during COVID, i know a lot of people um we had some of our branches calling out to some of our members Uh, And they just appreciated the phone call because they got that social interaction that they weren't able to get because they weren't going anywhere during COVID.
0: And that's such an important point that you bring up and one that we've been learning a lot about and talking a lot about is this idea of technology can solve a lot of problems, but oftentimes what it does is remove the social element and that efficiency does come at a price. And sometimes we have to ask, is that price worth it? I think a lot of us felt that during the pandemic of Yes, we can technically do our jobs remotely for the most part, but we're isolated in a bubble on Zoom all day. It's not the same as being around other people and bumping into each other in the hallway and having lunch in the break room. Uh, It's a different experience for sure. I agree.
1: I I have such Zoom fatigue right now. And it was really in the last three weeks or so that things opened up. I actually played in a, a, golf tournament, a uh, fundraiser. There was just a week there was a breakfast, chamber breakfast, a chamber lunch, and it just felt so good to be out seeing people
0: I know exactly shaking hands,
1: which, you know, I, I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to pe- shake people's hands. I, I didn't know if it was fist bump was going to be a permanent thing, but it's just such a natural thing when you run into somebody
0: to do. Yeah, it's amazing. 300 years of muscle memory does not go away overnight. Exactly. How'd you do with the golf tournament? Oh, I'm not much of a golfer, so <laughs> we won't <laughs> talk about that. That's, that's about my golf game, so we're on the same page there. So are there any other ways that you can think of that technology has impacted the industry in the last three to five years? Any other significant developments?
1: Well, right now we're dealing a lot with fintech companies that are taking uh, a business away from us, whether it be on the deposit side, Again, it's easy, takes you a couple minutes maybe to go online, open an account somewhere else, uh, shop the rates, and move your money. Um, On the loan side, we see a lot. Uh, Rocket Mortgage, obviously, is a big competitor. They underwrite the most mortgages within this area, probably countrywide, if you check out. And then we have a lot of uh, Venmos and those going after the payment system. And, you know, those are all ways that a financial institution makes money. um, There's stored cards, like Starbucks. There's billions of dollars on stored cards of all types across the country. That money used to sit in our bank accounts here that we could lend out to local businesses or people, consumers, and make the spread on that. And, you know, so a lot of those different income streams we have are starting to disappear slowly and, and they the fintechs generally are eventually you know financed by venture capitalists uh, or investors and they get the money up quick and they can invest and they can invest in technologies that it, you know half the, the investment for us has come out of our earnings stream which isn't sure. as great as getting a big pile of money from a venture capitalist firm but then they create products and services that we have to mirror because that's sure. what the consumer expects. Uh, Amazon's a great example. I'm one of those people, I get an Amazon package every couple of days probably. I don't even remember what I ordered half the time, but I just know I ordered it and it's going to show up on my doorstep you know, within a day or two. And uh, so that's gotten in people's minds that that's you know, whatever I want, I can get tomorrow or the next day. And if you don't deliver those products and services that they expect, they're just going to go to those competitors.
0: And so how do you see technology continuing to impact? Like, what do you think the next three to five years will be in the industry as technology continues to evolve?
1: I think it'll just be that. How quick can you deliver my loan? How quick can you deliver uh, or or what kind of rate can you provide me? How quick can I open that account? Um, As you said, you haven't been in a bank in five years, in a branch for five years. I think there's gonna be a lot more people moving, migrating online or staying online after COVID and learning how easy it really is to do business that way. And once they get over the, there's still some apprehension out there about, you know, where's my information going? You know, I, it's I'm talking in my phone and it's doing something for me and it's <laughs> all so my body's going to disappear.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but know, I think it's just going to be faster, quicker, um, and, and uh, you know, more competition.
0: And do you think about things like, let's say loan approvals, so, you know, I've applied for business loan before, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time sometimes. How? What changes are you guys going to have to make as an industry to do what you just said, to kind of have that more instant response type services?
1: So we, we do a lot of partnering right now, and, and the talk in the industry now is maybe we have to start partnering with these fintechs and not look at them as competitors um, so as an example we um, there's a group of ceos in massachusetts and we all share uh, the same core operating system it's actually a firm out of connecticut CEOCC and uh, the ceos have all gotten together and you know we're probably all about like me not the most tech savvy but aware of things going on in the industry and, and we're trying to as a group come together and figure out you know what those next product services are and whether or not we partner with fintech companies that can work with the cocc our service provider to uh, offer those products and services that we're going to need to um so you know Partnerships like that might be the way we go. Um, There's also in the credit union industry, CUSOs, credit union service organizations, and they aren't necessarily competitors. They are um, systems product services that you can kind of buckle on to your existing technology platform, and they, um, they exists solely within the credit union world so uh you know maybe 10 credit unions could share this service or that service as an example and it's not really that much technology related but we have uh partnered up with one of these qso's that does our collections for problem loans so yep. it's a way to um, have a product service without investing yourself in the technology, but investing in a partnership. And they are able to set these up because they get a number of customers or members like Freedom Credit Union to be part of it so they can share the costs across many different
0: institutions. That makes a lot of sense. So as you think about technology in the future, is there something that you think could be totally disruptive that would be a game changer?
1: I'm sure there could be, Dulcie, and if I knew, I'd make a fortune (laughs) and not have to work. Uh, Again, going back to when I started, you know, like you said, in my third decade, I guess I'm actually in my fourth decade in banking. I would have never, you know, I would have never... Imagined it. Uh, yeah, my first cell phone was in a bag this big, you know, <laughs> <laughs> carrying around in the car, and it was just a phone. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a mobile phone, smartphone with all the capa- capabilities that they have today. So, yeah, I really, I wish I, again. I wish I knew the answer, but I don't. I just know that technology is going to be huge. Um, And eventually, we're going to get to the point where people, um, you know, have grown up with it so much, there's not going to be the apprehension. Let's face it, there's a lot of older um, members and customers of banks, especially in this area, um, you know, but eventually, the younger people are going to... You know move beyond their student years and they've all grown up with technology they don't know anything different than that yeah. so um the technology is just going to be improving and everybody's going to be used to using it so there won't be that apprehension so at, you know at that point i can't imagine you'll see as many branches out there of credit unions or banks um probably more like a, a hub-and-spoke approach uh, where, you know, you have, yes, you do have the main office like we have here on Main Street in Springfield, and then maybe one in each county you're in, and, uh, you know, the rest of the business will be online, or uh, we also have artificial intelligence, so people are filling out something online, they can get their questions answered online, um, or we also have, uh, now some video capabilities. So if say you're filling out your mortgage app and you're stuck on a certain section, you can actually get a link from us, call into a call center and be talking just like you and I are, um, and walk you through the mortgage app and where you're stuck to. Well, that's uh, very cool. Get it done. Yeah. Um, that That also has a secure portal piece so you could send information back and forth so that, again, if I'm not sure where you are stuck in the mortgage app and you want to show me a certain section, we can share that information back and forth and, you know, get it done. Because one of the hardest things we have to deal with is when people um, begin an application process, whether it be for a new account or alone, sometimes they get in there and they're stuck. And what you don't want them to do is to just give up and move on to another piece. And and that's where I think we at Freedom and probably a lot of institutions have to improve on that. I know last night I was just going back to golf. I don't know why. I started looking at some golf clubs online and I started filling out something and uh, I stopped. I really wasn't interested in buying, but I stopped. And this morning I got an email from the company. Hey, Glenn, we saw you, you know, didn't finish that, uh, didn't finish looking for at those golf clubs. Is there anything I can help you with? I think we have to do a better job of doing that to make sure that we close the sales for people that are, obviously they're interested if they're on your website,
0: uh, but for some reason they stopped. So yeah, that, that makes a ton there. of sense. So tell me, what is it about technology that scares you? What's your biggest fear? What keeps you up at night when it comes to tech?
1: Yeah, so like everyone, I bet cyber threats, it just doesn't stop. Um, Again, we use an operating system called COCC and they have a lot of security in place. Our IT team does a great job of keeping us locked down training our employees trying to train our members to not do the you know not click on that um, but people get curious if it happens and uh, you know i was at a uh, uh, some uh, actually an in-person conference a few weeks ago and, and they had an i.t firm talking about it and the sophistication of the hackers and the their uh, willingness to be patient now as they've matured into such an industry it's pretty scary that they'll sit on your system and I think the guy said something like nine or ten months is is a good average now in in the old days I guess they'd make a quick hit a couple days say I got some of your data now they'll sit there and collect and collect and they're collecting from your direct vendor and their vendor and their vendor and getting all this information. Um, it was really eye-opening to me, but also very scary. Um, so that's, that's what keeps me up at night. And again, I think it keeps a lot of people up at night. The, the recent events across the country with the, the meat uh, packing firm, the uh, pipeline, more recently, uh, that firm Kaye or something Kaseya. Just, uh, yeah, last week got hacked. Uh, it just doesn't stop.
0: just doesn't stop. Yeah, and th- there isn't an end in sight, so I should't have fear. I mean, I can't even tell you that Friday night when that Kaseya attack was going on, you know fortunately it's not a park that we use, but it could have been <laughs> it was just a little too close for comfort that it right. really was quite scary, right.
1: And sometimes that might be a fourth layer down from the real vendor you're contracting with, right? And you need to explore that. So uh, yeah, you never know. It's uh, again, it's it's scary and it doesn't seem like it's gonna stop anytime soon. They're just getting more and more
0: sophisticated. Have you had the uh, misfortune to ever experience a major outage or technology disaster?
1: You're going to jinx me now, (laughs) (laughs) Dulcie? I'll
0: knock on wood for you. (laughs)
1: Me too. No, we haven't. But again, uh, something like what happened last week makes you really scramble. My IT group, I think it was last Friday, was reaching out to our core vendor, and they were checking already with their vendors. And so, again, no, we haven't. Um, We have seen some of our members that have gotten hacked. Um, You know, it's especially during COVID, a lot of of fraud was going on, a lot of people calling around and and getting information that the members probably shouldn't have shared, but they did. So, uh, no, thankfully, we haven't. And, um, you know, that's that's all our partnerships. We work hard to make sure that uh, we know who they are and and how secure they are, too. It's part of our vendor management system.
0: Yeah. I mean, the banks seem to do, I think one of the better jobs of taking it seriously. So it's good to see that uh, you guys, say that it's paid off, that you've got the, kind of the benefit of putting all that time and effort into it.
1: Yeah. And, and it is part of when, when our regulators come in, uh, you know, they, they expect the plan to be in place. They expect us to do the pen tests. They expect us to do the social engineering. You know, there's a, A lot of things they expect us to do because obviously we we have non public information on uh, we have 31,400 members here and we have information on them that can't get out in public so. You know we we're not always fond of regulators, but we do (laughs) understand our you know our responsibility.
0: yeah it's funny. When you think about regulation, right, because on the one hand, you're so heavily regulated, probably one of the most regulated industries in the country. On the other hand, firms like ours, who manage the technology for firms like yours, we're completely unregulated. We have absolutely no certifications. I was telling somebody the other day, you need more licensure and more certification to cut hair than you do to manage a $10 million IT company that is overseeing hundreds of clients' IT networks. Uh-huh. It's a strange kind of world where somehow we've gotten away with not having a regulatory body.
1: Right. And if you think about it, uh, the bad actors, I mean, they could create a firm like yours and over time embed themselves in so- how many companies. Yeah, or the attack
0: that you mentioned on Friday, that was going after companies like ours. And they went into, they got into about, I think the latest number I saw was about 50 companies like ours. And that got them into about 5000 customers. And so not only could what you're saying happen, but even if not that we become the target. And so if we're not taking IT as seriously as you are, we're putting other businesses at risk, just the same way you'd be putting your members at risk.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a scary world from that perspective. So we often talk about technology from the lens of making things better, evolution, growth, improvement. Have you found any situations where technology seemed to make things worse?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think it has to do with people being able to interact one-on-one with each other Um, it's so easy to sit at your desk and fire out emails or um, you know not always be nice to other people because maybe they're a couple floors down and you're sitting in your office and they're in their office Uh, again going back to where my career started we didn't even have email you had to actually pick up the phone and call somebody or walk down the hall and call somebody and um, I've actually tried to implement it a few times over my career where we have non-email Fridays, so you know, unless it's something that has to be documented in some way internally, not to use the emails.
0: Obviously. That's such a cool idea. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, it didn't stick when I got here. Uh, at my old institution, we were a little better at it. But coming out of COVID, I'm thinking about going back to something like that because I think um, you know when we sent most people home for during COVID, it, it, and then everything became emails, um, and, and I think people just had to get back to working with one another, and, and uh, you know. Again, walking down the hall and knock on the door and say, Hey Delcy, I gotta talk to you about this, rather than just shooting an email. And then what drives me crazy is an email and they CC four other people on the email. And you know, it just becomes this thing back and forth. So I, I think that's you know, we've lost touch and lost the ability sometimes to interact effectively with people. I do worry about Um, the younger generation who have just grown up with so much technology and you know you see it and I'm guilty too sometimes you're sitting in the restaurant and everybody's on their phone sitting around the same table together and you're there to interact but you're interacting on your phone so uh, I think that's where technology is just you know sometimes takes over uh, when it would be better uh, to have more social Yeah,
0: I agree completely. As the president of a very important and successful organization in our community, how do you personally keep up with everything going on in the technology space? How do you stay educated and informed?
1: So a lot of it is industry uh, resources, uh, email newsletters I get on a daily basis. Sometimes it's like trying to... uh, Take water out of a fire hose a drink out of a fire hose. Though there's so much of it. Uh, prior to COVID, there would be conferences that I would attend. Um, those are always valuable. I find not necessarily just the scheduled programs, but interacting with people who, you know, you start talking maybe over a drink at the bar and actually get some information that way. Um, Uh, And I I think, you know, I've Zoomed out, as I told you before, but I think there'll be value to that when we're not doing Zoom calls every hour of the day. I think uh, conferences where you can do an hour-long conference or something will be very valuable in that you don't have to travel somewhere, whether it be by car or plane. Uh, you know, get a hotel room, all of that. I think there'll be some value um, for people to 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 learn in that manner. Um, but again, just coming out of this COVID, I I, I don't want to be on Zoom calls anymore that I I, I am uh, or I have been. But I I think that'll be a big way to uh, continue learning. And, and as I said, the um, the group we got together uh, on our core. Um, system to analyze what we all need down the road. I think we're all learning from one another on, um, you know, again, what the members need, what we need internally, and and then we can work as a group to try to direct our core system into those things that we feel we need
0: um, to to better our, our service to members. That's great. All right, well, before I let you go, there's one more section. It's a section we call fast questions from flat Delcy. Thanks, Delcy, And good morning, Glenn. In just a moment, I'm going to read you a series of choices. And your job is to respond as quickly as possible. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tacos or burritos? Tacos. Netflix or cable? Netflix. Eggs or pancakes? Eggs. Candy or popcorn? Popcorn. Vermont or New Hampshire? Vermont. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee.
0: Boat or plane? Boat. And drums or bass? Drums. I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I know that our audience will as well.
1: Well, again, I appreciate you having me on, Kelsey. Thank you very much.